0: Hear me? Can you hear me enough that I can start? Of course, you're like, of course start. We'll be fine. Just, we want to know when you say amen, let's pray. Um, Take two. There we go. <laughs> Welcome. Start the recording now. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we started two weeks ago. Uh, so if you can turn to Matthew chapter 5 in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on the chairs. Uh, it's page 525. Um, and we're just going to look at a few uh, verses this morning. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is uh, a collection of Jesus' teaching. And it's, it's basically, how do you live life? Uh, as a person, uh, what are we called to do as humanity? What does it mean to be a person? How are we to react to things? So it's very practical but as we talked about two weeks ago uh, the key thing to remember is that the goal as we look through merciful today and pure in heart and hunger and thirst for righteousness is not to aim to be the best. It's really to let these um, to, to like dwell in these and let Jesus uh, search your heart about your failure in these and then you can see how Jesus is perfect in this. He's the perfect one who's merciful. And then we rest in his perfection. And then there is a part of, uh, some on our side of, we do want to strive to be merciful. But it's not you being a more merciful person that's going to accomplish something. So the first three Beatitudes that we looked at, uh, Jeremy looked at last week, are poor in spirit, those who mourn. And blessed are the meek. Uh, and really, those are not things that our society and culture hold very high. We don't like those because a lot of those appear to be a sign of weakness. And as Americans, as especially people in the West, in the frontier, this is you have to be strong. Don't show your weakness. Be a hard worker. Get everything done. People will respect you. Save a lot of money. You're going to be a good American. But the gospel that Jesus came proclaiming, says something completely different. And it says, we, he wants to know those who mourn. When you are meek, that's a great quality. And so this morning, we're going to look at these verses. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Well, the previous ones, poor in spirit and mourning and meek, uh, they're not an end in themselves. Just like most everything in Scripture, you can read a verse, but really you need to see in the context of the whole message of the Bible. And especially these seven Beatitudes, you have um, the first three... And then what we're going to look at this morning is hungering and thirsting after righteousness. So the first three really describe uh, who you and I are. Uh, we're people who are uh, we're poor in spirit, we're, uh, we mourn, and we're meek. We're people who don't come across as we have it strong, we have it all together. Uh, and what are you supposed to do with that? Well, this middle one, one author describes it sort of as the center of the Beatitudes because it, it helps us to know what are we to focus on we are to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then what happens after that? what is the fruit of that? And the fruit of that is uh, mercy, pure in heart, and being a peacemaker. But we don't just jump to how can I be more merciful? How can I be a better peacemaker? Give me a list. We need to understand that our calling is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So here in this change, uh, and really the change is when we cease to be absorbed with self. Uh, So as we look at this, our temptation is to be absorbed uh, with ourself and think, okay, I don't do these or I I do accomplish these. But really the center of your beatitude teaching is yourself. Uh, The center of the beatitude teaching is Jesus and what he has done. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. A hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is righteousness? It's, it's all through the Bible. And there are many uh, different uses of this word. So there's a big circle of meaning. But we're just going to use the understanding of to be, to pursue righteousness is to pursue what is right. And there is a God. And he's eternal. And he's perfect. And he's the one who communicates what is right. So we are to pursue This. Not we're we're not pursuing being right, we're pursuing the one who is right. The one who is righteous, the one who is just, and that's Jesus. Galatians two twenty one says if righteousness is through the law, then Christ died for no reason. Romans three five says, Our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God. Romans 1.17 says the righteous shall live by faith. Righteousness or rightness is when things are correct. And uh, God being holy and just and perfect with uh, no flaw in him and he's eternal. Um, we as, as creatures, as creators made in his image, uh, we are not right by nature. I heard someone say one of their life philosophies was just to be less wrong. <laughs> so said, they're right. Life, I just want to be less wrong as I grow up. And so our relationship with God uh, here, it's called to be uh, what it ought to be. And the only way that our relationship with God can be what it ought to be is if we look at Jesus as the one who perfects all of these Beatitudes. As we look at him, and he's the one who is the most merciful. And we can rest in him that mercy is perfect because he fulfilled it. And then we can look internally at ourselves and say, gosh, I don't want to be merciful. I struggle with it. I even actually hate it. But I'm trusting in Jesus to make me more merciful and to allow me to see that. But here we're called to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, Growth in these character traits are the consequences, really, of a proper hunger and thirst. If you and I can understand what it means to hunger and thirst for Jesus, these qualities will begin to be developed in who we are as a person. So what does it mean to hunger and thirst? Well, if you uh, are like me, and you probably are, you probably don't know hunger. Um years ago, I guess it was three years ago, we as a family went through this phase, and we've probably all gone through this, of eating more healthy and it was some kind of nutritional eating plan where it was only fruits and vegetables um, and you could eat as much as you wanted, but you couldn't snack. So, breakfast, lunch, dinner were the only three meals you could have. Could not snack, snack. But you basically could eat all that you wanted. So, I would just eat. I mean, it was like a pound of vegetables a day. A pound of fruit. It was an amazing amount of food. But one of the things in this plan was to help us realize what it means to feel hungry again. Um, I don't like hunger. If I'm a little bit hungry or just interested, I'll have something usually sugary with something that has caffeine in it. And so I, I don't really like to be hungry or uh, but what happened, we had this, we ate like this, and I, I felt my head was clearer. <laughs> I lost weight. Like, it was just amazing. So the question you can ask is, so Jason, why are you not doing that if you felt better? Here's why. It was hard, and it was uncomfortable. And I'd rather be comfortable and do something easy, so now I eat throughout the day. And so as we look at hungering and thirst for righteousness, uh, why do we not hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, because it's hard and it's uncomfortable. And we like to be comfortable. And it really answers the question, why do we, why do we sin? Why do we choose unrighteousness? Well, because we like it. Because it's comfortable. Because it gives us some kind of satisfaction. In a temporary way, it fulfills some kind of need that that is felt. And so we think this is the best thing to do at this point, is to pursue unrighteousness and sin. And it really is an issue of our desires and our motives. And so we end up being people who hunger and thirst, not for righteousness, But we hunger and thirst for what is easy and what's comfortable. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, sin is put in its proper place. But when we hunger and thirst for comfort or success or just ease, we feed ourselves on the food that is not actually food. Uh, We fill our bodies with empty, worthless calories that just taste good. And this might be, in your life, this might be anger, Jealousy, lust. This could be you just uh, showing up at church and then you want to live the rest of the week with yourself in mind. And your goal is really to be more comfortable and at more peace and to separate anything that would make life hard. This is where Jesus meets you. He meets you and he understands you hate You and I hate hard things. We hate things that make us uncomfortable. But Jesus, as he transforms us, he makes us into people that will begin to extend that risk and say that's uncomfortable. I don't like that. Like in the sense of mercy. And we'll begin to extend that towards people. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Um, You know, if someone was to ask you, are you a merciful person? We Well, yeah, probably better than average, you know, better than most of you. And then if someone was to ask you, uh, tell me the last time you were merciful to someone, you extended mercy, we would probably list a friendship. We'd probably list someone who we are real close to and who has a, a need, and we extend ourselves to meet this need. Uh, that is not the true depth of mercy that this is talking about. That's just being a friend. If any of you are on the side of the road and I drive by and I see you need some help, uh, I'm going to stop. Or at least yell out the window. I'd stop, but I'm really busy. Um, I would stop. Or I would call you. What can I do to help? Because like, that's what you do with friends. We know each other. Uh, someone else who I don't know is stopped on the side of the road. I have a lot of other excuses why I won't stop and help them. That's mercy. Stopping for a friend is just being a friend. Uh, When you think about mercy, if it crosses your mind and you say, I can't help with that, it's too hard, that's mercy. Or I don't have any time to do that. That's mercy. Don't they have anyone else to call? That's mercy. If you actually stop and extend yourself to that person. Mercy is extending energy, resources, love, and time, which will not be repaid. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And it seems like here that if you're merciful, then you will receive mercy. That is true. But it's it, not the only way to receive mercy. But it is a way that you will receive Mercy. If you are merciful to people, people will extend mercy to you. But where does your mercy come from? It needs to come from a hunger and thirst for Jesus. And when you and I understand how Jesus was inconvenienced by us, and he extended love and grace, and he calls us his beloved, and we understand that mercy then we can extend mercy to people who are inconvenient, who will take our time, who will take uh, your talents, who will um, make you uncomfortable because you're extending that. Mercy is never easy. It's hard and costly. And it's a sign that you know God's mercy. And so as a church, uh, an organization, uh, Jeremy is doing a great job of, developing people and uh, a team of people who will be uh, uh, like an institutional team of people that can help our church extend mercy and justice to people. But where will you receive mercy and justice? Obviously from that team if there are resources that we as a church can help you with. But really the person and the people that are going to extend you mercy are sitting in the chair next to you. It's not waiting for some organizational thing that only when that team is together, then we can actually re- receive mercy and we can ask for requests. It is the person sitting next to you. And so, as you need mercy, how are you developing relationships that you can explain your need of mercy to people? We are to be people of mercy. To extend mercy, you first need to be around people who need mercy. But we like to avoid them. And what we like to do is interesting. This was uh, a couple of years ago. I called a church that I knew very well. And there was someone who lived right in their neighborhood. And I knew someone in the church. So I called this person I knew, lives in this neighborhood. And I said, hey, here's this person. They're in your neighborhood. They just need a friend. And this person's response was, "Uh, that sounds like a deacon request. We're going to actually send that to the deacons, and they're going to deal with it. Instead of realizing all this person needs is just an extension of friendship and love and mercy and grace. But that's our excuse usually. If someone you know needs mercy, well, what's the institutional way we're going to solve this problem? I'd much rather us as a church think maybe it really is just some of you spending time with this person. And our other danger and mercy is thinking it's all financial. Thinking if we extend money, it's going to automatically fix this problem. 95% of the time, it will not even not fix the problem. It will make the problem worse. Because whatever got this person in that situation you have not even addressed. It is just going to continue. So extending mercy is really, don't think of it as a financial thing. Think of it as you're extending time. You're extending a listening ear. You are going to provide this person with some resources, which are probably other people to help this person in this situation. It's not a money problem. It's a relationship problem. And that's why we need each other as a community. It's too easy to send someone somewhere else to get fixed because that's easy and comfortable. But what we're called to here is we're called to be people who are merciful and to extend this mercy. These beatitudes also really address our idols. Hunger and thirst for righteousness really addresses our idol of ease and comfort. Mercy addresses our idol of being a resourceful person. Because we'll, we'll look at people and think, uh, can't they just make these phone calls and uh, be more resourceful? And they wouldn't need mercy so bad. They would actually feel better because they're being a stronger person. It's actually the opposite of what Jesus is trying to teach us in his Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. A pure heart seems to imply that one has come to a completion. And there are no more qualifications. This person has the absence of hypocrisy. Their heart is pure. First, let's look at the heart. The heart in the Bible is referring to feelings, desires, and motives of our actions. A purity in heart is described describing a heart that longs for one thing. To be pure in heart is to desire one thing. So again, these are not complicated. They're just really hard. And that desire, that one thing, is desire to know Jesus. Those whose heart is centered on God's calling and understanding Jesus and salvation um, says they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, and this is uh, what we are trying to do as a community is we're trying to uh, let Jesus and His Holy Spirit address our heart, not just our outward actions, uh, because that's much easier if it's our outward actions. Uh, Don't do this, do this. And we can figure out a way to be a functional part of a community. Uh, But what we're asking is for all of us to not only deal with our own heart, we're asking you to be involved with other people so you can see God deal with their heart. And as a mission, if we are a community of people that is undivided and we're after one thing, we're after knowing Jesus more. What's going to happen is we're still going to have some conflicts, but those are really going to drop because we're going to see what is the real purpose of what we're trying to do? What is the real goal? What is the movement that we're trying to make as people? So the pure and heart addresses our idol of hypocrisy, uh, of, of how we appear outside. Um, compared to really what's going on in, my, in your heart and my heart. Um, one of the joys of uh, being your pastor, one of the things I love about this calling, is I get to sit with you, and you, many of you feel the freedom to vomit your life on me. And it is a wonderful thing. Because as I sit there and listen, what goes on in my head all the time is, and I'll have the answer, I don't have anything I can give you besides what Jesus has done and how is he going to meet you in this. And to see you take the time to say things out loud, that is a joy to me. And I see it with you together, which is wonderful. In your community groups, as you begin to speak truthfully and share hurts, that you, present hurts that you're not dealing with, present sin habits that you, you don't want to deal with, or past things in your life, or fears of the future, that you can actually say them out loud to a community that can just embrace you and love you. And really, we can all say together, you know what? I've thought that too. Jesus wants to transform your heart. He does not want to transform your actions. When your heart is transformed, though, your actions are changed. When you see how merciful Jesus is to you, you will begin to extend mercy to other people. I remember years ago uh, when I was at a church, I was invited to a birthday party um, for a child. I think she was four, and these this is a pretty rough family. Uh, They uh, lived in a very poor part of town. hoarding was part of their family culture and I remember going and thinking you know I'm going I'm extending mercy I'm going to go and I'm going to extend mercy um, but as I was there I realized that it was merely an outward extension of mercy really it was my heart when I was there that I was frustrated I wanted to get out of there fast and it just made me angry To be there. Uh, But outwardly, I was welcoming and caring. (laughs) But it's really God beginning to reveal in my heart that that's merely an outward sign of mercy. God wants mercy to be something that flows out of me because I'm hungering and thirsting for Jesus and for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus is the great peacemaker. Uh, He is the one who came to bring peace uh, between God and man. And the problem was all on man's side. Jesus extended himself. That was uneasy and uncomfortable to say the least. Paid the ultimate price and sacrifice so that we can be at peace with God. Uh, We are really good at uh, avoiding like being peace avoiders, uh, being people who are just pretending there's peace, but there's really not any peace. Uh, And I think some of the reasons why we run from peacemaking is because it really is too hard. Because we're really going to have to be humble before people and hear from them. But as a community, we're called to be peacemakers. We're called to enter that with people. And to say, if I've done something wrong, I want you to tell me, I want to hear it. And to be humble enough to receive it. Jesus, in his peacemaking, he doesn't overlook sin. He moves right into it, and he meets you and I in it. And he begins to take apart the lies of our sin. The things we really find comfort in. He begins to dismantle those And the whole time he's doing that, he is caring for your soul. So true peacemaking will imitate qualities. Um, We will not avoid speaking or hearing hard truth. Uh, We will not put defenses up when we know that we're wrong. Uh, We will move toward people to make peace, not just wait for it to happen not just have the old, like I'm going to trust in God's sovereignty and if God wants there to be peace and restoration of that relationship, he's going to extend it and I'm just not going to take any step forward. Well, if you know there's brokenness, uh, you are called to move towards that and be a peacemaker and to not avoid it. And it is excruciatingly hard. There is no doubt it is hard. But this is what Jesus did he brought peace so we can be people who extend peace. So what does being a peacemaker address? What idol is that address? I think it addresses the idol of isolation. Not only there's people pleasing uh, a part of it, but it's also isolation. The more we push people away, the less we will have conflict. And then you'll be able to say, you know what, I'm really a peaceful person. No one hates me. Well, Maybe no one actually knows you. We're called to be people in relationships. So, part of the first step of being a peacemaker is to actually be in relationships with people, that you allow people to get to know you. We're not called to isolate ourselves, Uh, we are called to be merciful people, that we're moving towards people who need mercy. We're called to be people who hunger and thirst for righteousness and repent of our, um, our, our, the idol of ease and comfort. We're called to be people who are pure in heart and to repent of our hypocrisy. We're called to be peacemakers and to live uh, within community, in people, and allow God to address those things in our life. We all have the opportunity to display some level of these. Um, What Jesus is asking us as we extend ourselves as people who are uh, peacemakers and people who are merciful is that we would remember where that comes from. And we would remember that our real calling is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It is God who gives us spiritual nutrition and feeds us So then we can extend ourselves beyond what we think towards people by mercy and peacemaking and pure in heart, by being honest with the sin that we struggle with. And so as we come to the table this morning, as we come to the Lord's Supper, uh, this is a table that we come to as people who are not perfect. But we can look at these things and see how Jesus fulfills them and we can come and be thankful that He has extended mercy. He is the great peacemaker. He is the one with one mission. He is pure in heart and is to restore a people for Himself. Let's pray as we come to the table this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are a merciful God, that you are faithful. And as you call us to come and meet you here, not only through the preaching and the reading of your word, but you call us to meet you here at the table of um, communion. We pray that you would prepare our hearts and that we would come as people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.